And I'm coming back home to you And I'm coming back home to you I'm coming back home I'm coming back home to you I'm coming back home I'm coming back home Good to see you. Good to be back. Had a great trip. Marcus just mentioned it. Um, let me clarify something real quick so there's no misunderstanding. You gave, I think it was 49000 was was the amount, so it's just short of 50000 uh, I gave twenty immediately to the church that was there. They have a big project that they're doing uh, that they're trying to get off the ground right now. And rather than just take the money and hope that it works, I'm letting them get started on their project before I give the other uh, 30,000. So I just wanted to say that because it was, it was said as though we gave the whole amount and I don't want that to ever be an issue where somebody went like, hey, you did this and it's, it's this. So we gave 20 immediately and the other 30 I'm gonna sow as soon as they get this thing uh, up and going. In fact, the pastor for the church is gonna be here next month uh, at our church. He's gonna come and visit and if things work out the right way, I'll try to present the other money to him while he's here so you guys can be a part of that too. Uh, best thing that happened for me on the trip, and there were a lot of good things, Amy and Marcus um, uh, were along uh, helping Chris and I and they try to bring one of their kids every year. Their goal is to, to bring their kids to experience Israel too. And this time it was, they have one boy, they have six kids, five girls, one boy, this time it was the boys' chance to go, little Marcus. Uh, Marcus Light is what the group called him. <laughs> and um, he is a man, he's a typical uh, almost seven-year-old boy, full of energy and an attention span this, this long right here. So we're there three days, and Chris um, pulls him aside and says, Marcus, have you learned anything? And he said, nope. Uh, <laughs> So we go through the trip, and we're in Jerusalem, and it's almost the very, very end of the trip, and uh, he was having more of a good time climbing on things and jumping off things and playing games with people as we were on the bus, things like that. But uh, we, we, were, um, we were coming out of the old city of Jerusalem, and you know, just that scripture, out of the mouths of babes, I didn't ask him, uh, you know, he was kind of just chattering, and I don't know, you know, sometimes when a kid is chattering, you can, your mind can be someplace else while they're... So I'm trying to listen, and yet I'm trying to focus on something. And this is what he tells me. He, said, he calls me Pops. He said, Pops. He said, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to have to die to get there. Man, that is a lot of wisdom. It's like, son, that is exactly right. And it works itself into this message a little bit in that we're going to talk about an idea that people want something, they want the blessing, but we don't always want to have to go through the protocol to get the blessing. 
So my message today is why stay? We're talking about families and in particular marriages. I realize it doesn't touch everybody in this room. I realize we have singles in here. I realize that we have widows and widowers in here. I realize that we have uh, people in here that will, um, that will listen to the message and perhaps you'll just say, man, I, I, I don't know if that one's for me. Next week, uh, we're dealing with a subject that will be for everybody when it comes to this. So please, you know, in a particular weekend, don't ever think that's just the whole message of that church. Take the whole thing that we teach uh, over the long term. But that's what we're aiming for this weekend is for people uh, in a marriage situation. In particular, the title is just, Why Stay? Why fight? Why hold on? What's the purpose? What good is it? I know some of you, this message will hit right where you're living right now. Um, maybe you've even said things like, um, God, I still can't do it anymore. I don't, uh, don't think I can go any further. Maybe you've even been asking. Give me a sign. So can I just stop and just for a moment, like hold the message up and just say, maybe this is your sign. <laughs> maybe this is God talking to you. Maybe this is his way of trying to get your attention maybe trying to encourage you, maybe trying to exhort you a little bit, maybe correct. It's really hard sometimes to see a future when you're in the middle of a battle. It's tough to see the other side. of It's tough to believe that anything good can come out of it sometimes. I get it. You know, please know, our anniversary this December uh, be 34 years. Um, People think you're a pastor. It just, you know, it's just magical. That's not the way uh, Chris would describe it to you. <laughs> I married a person who's probably the exact opposite of me. Anybody else do that same thing? In every service, I get the same reaction. You'll chuckle a little bit. Um, we can't even load the dishwasher the same way. So why is that funny? Why is that funny? I pee every time. I wish you could have my point of view right now and watch the couples look at each other like, mm-hmm. Yep, he knows. So we come home Tuesday, and, uh, you know, it's almost uh, one of the flights. Is, it was 15 hours. So you're just right at the, you know, you're tired you're right at the raw edge of what you can handle. How many of you know when your defenses are down and you're tired, that's, that's watch what you say, exactly. right? Watch what you say. So we're trying to load the dishwasher, and um, I do it the smart way, where, <laughs> where I put the dishes on this side, the big ones, and the small ones on this side. And I no sooner turn around, and she's unloading it to switch it. So normally, I just like, no big deal, whatever you do. But this time, it just hit me the wrong way. And so it started a conversation of how different we are. I mean, we get off an elevator. This happened this, just this last week. We get off an elevator, and this is every time. We get off the elevator, I'll go to the left, and she'll go to the right immediately. Now, we're headed to the same place. We drive two cars when we come to church because I have to be here at a different time than she does, and we take two different routes. Most of the time, we just laugh about it, but sometimes, have you ever been in a marriage where you try to change the person because you're right? I like to call it being dead right. You can be right, but you're dead when it all gets said and done. Some guy said to me last night, you can be right or you can be married. Which one do you want to, to be? I don't know if I agree with that, but it was funny nonetheless when he, when he said it. 
You know, one of the, um, the number one reasons that people cite for divorce, irreconcilable. And let me tell you what I think. Um, by the way, let me, it's really important for me to say this. Um, so I've been here a long time, and God willing, I'll be here for a long time. But I don't, a message like this, man, I'm your pastor. And so I'm not standing up like one blast message and then I get to leave and don't have to worry about the, the effect. I love you. And I do not take this for granted when I stand up here. And it's never in my heart to talk down to somebody or condemn anybody. I see myself right in the same boat with all of the flaws, probably more. And I always, every weekend, I try to be real and expose those things so nobody thinks that I'm ever talking down to them or that I think I'm this. I don't think that. And I'm just saying that right now because what I have to say today, Jesus just spoke directly to it, and I have no way to change those words. And it's not a... It's not me trying to soften that, but it's me trying to say to you, it's coming from a heart that cares and not from a heart that thinks you don't get it. So I love you, and I will be here to walk through what we talk about today. And at the end of it, I have a way to help if it hits you where you're living. So I married somebody that's just very different, very opposite. Uh, it's those opposites that initially attract us to each other, but it's also those things that can repel us later on. I don't know why that is. Something inside of us is excited about a person who's different, but then over time, it can be the very thing that causes division. Uh, God said it this way, uh, the two shall become one. If you just break that down real quickly, you've got diversity trying to move into unity. How difficult is that? You never marry somebody that's exactly like you. It would be so boring. And yet, once you get married, you want them to be like you. Why is that? When people divorce so often, they cite that sentence, irreconcilable differences. What I was going to say about it is, I've done this a long time. With a pastor's heart, I say this. Rarely, rarely, rarely have I ever met a situation that was actually irreconcilable differences. Here's what I've met, irreconcilable people. People who don't want to be humble, people who don't want to forgive, people who don't want to let stuff go. And I've been on both sides of it where I've seen God do the miraculous in marriages that were full of affairs. I've seen God restore in situations that you would just say, no way possible. And yet I've also watched people who just simply got to a place where I'm not doing this anymore and walk away. God's merciful. God's loving. Thank God for second chances for a hundred times. Yes. He's not the God of if only. He's the God of but now. He never says if only. He always says right now, come to me. But it doesn't negate the fact that he is direct and he is strong when it comes to the issue of marriage. And what he says, if we are Christ followers, listen to me. If we are Christ followers, then that means what he says we do. Or at least we're trying to do that. 
So the message comes from that place today. I wrote this down. It's not in your notes. It's in my notes. Um, So we're in our third decade, heading to our fourth decade of marriage. And I just put it in tens, what our marriage was like through the tens. The first 10 years together, we aggravated each other. We just aggravated each other. Every little thing was aggravated. So in love, and then fell into the trap of just all the little things, we began to aggravate each other. Okay, so we learned from that. In the second 10 years, we thought we were doing good because we learned to tolerate each other. How many of you know marriage has to be much more than toleration? And that's a part of it, but you move from aggravate to tolerate. The third 10, where we are right now, we finally learned to celebrate our differences. We laugh about it. We joke about it. And now I've actually found the strength and the wisdom, the power that two becoming one has. And some of you will be like, man, it took you into your third decade to do that? Listen to this. I went to a garage sale this past week, and the guy having the garage sale had been married 62 years. How rare is that? And I know the guy, and this is what he told me. He said, we were trying to get all of our stuff out to sell it, and she wouldn't let her stuff go, but wanted me to let my stuff go. So I told her she's a hoarder. I said, how did that go? He said, not too well. She hadn't talked to me much since. Now, here's the weird thing. I took great comfort in the fact that this dude that's been married twice as long as me is still making the same mistake that I make. We're always learning in marriage, yes or no. We're always learning. So the first 10, we aggravated. The second 10, we tolerated. Now we're celebrating. The fourth 10, here's what we want to do. We want to accelerate it. I don't know why sometimes it takes that long. Some people are better. Some people are worse. We're probably average. But the fourth time, we want to accelerate, man. We want it to be everything that it can be. And I wish I could have put the accelerate at the first 10. If you've got a pen or a pencil, you might want to write these things down. If you're using the online new version of the notes, that's great too. And if you learn best by just listening, I'm fine with that. So let me give you three things. I'm going to read um, a direct passage of Scripture where Jesus is asked a question on marriage, in particular divorce, and he cites uh, the book of Genesis. This is off the subject. You mind if I just pastor for a second? Just like it's my need to cover all the bases. Um, I had somebody ask me, man, do you think Genesis is a literal book? Literal. So I, I would just throw it to you this way. Jesus cites the book of Genesis multiple times, and apparently he didn't have a conflict with whether it was legitimate or not. He must have thought this is right on when he cited it. And because I'm a Christ follower, that settles the issue for me. That's just a beside the point. So, uh, Mark chapter 10, verses 2 through 9. Holy Spirit, help me and us. Um, Pharisees came and uh, tested Jesus by asking him this question. So it's not really a legitimate question as much as they're just trying to trap him. Uh, Here's why they use divorce. Divorce is not some 2017 issue or, uh, you know, modern man. Uh, As long as there have been marriage, there's been people who have been tested by the issue of marriage. This is not new. And so this is just a direct question The Pharisees came and they tested him by asking, uh, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Is it okay? Jesus uh, artfully, seldom, 
just gave a yes or a no. He usually answered a question by asking a question to reveal the heart of the person. God, if we could all learn to do that in life, how much better would life be? So um, he just answers them by asking them a question, what did Moses command you? Because that's, they're not really following Jesus. They're Jewish. They're following the law. Moses was the lawgiver. Uh, they said Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send his wife or put his wife away. And then Jesus, man, just separates right to the core. Uh, it was because your hearts are hard that Moses wrote this law, Jesus replied. And then he quotes Genesis. At the beginning of creation, God, here's the quote, made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. He's quoting Genesis. And the two will become one. So we've got diversity trying to become one. Can I just say to you that doesn't happen in a year or two years? The whole time you're married, you're trying to become one. It's always that process, and that's not always an easy process. It's a squeezing and a pushing and a longing and a praying, and sometimes it's easier and sometimes it's harder, but that's what you're aiming at. We're coming from these two separate things to become one. That's a process. Therefore, therefore is always a connecting bridge word. Here's what he's saying. So what I just said, okay, therefore, because of what I just said, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So here's what Jesus is saying. Marriage is a sacred institution no matter how you look at it. It didn't come from man. God is the inventor of marriage is what Jesus is saying. And so because God invented it, it is holy, it is sacred to him, and therefore it has to be held in a category that's not simply some civil issue. It's a spiritual issue. The whole point of two becoming one is not just, phys it's not just sex. There's a spiritual issue of two people who were separate becoming one. It actually represents who God is. Marriage is the, um, the reflection, ultimately, of what God is. God is all things together in one. So a man and a woman by themselves are not necessarily everything that they could be. When God brings them together, the whole is better than the one. Two are better than one. It's a reflection. There's a, a uniqueness and a specialness of it, and it's, it's hard. Teaching and preaching become superfluous on certain things that, you know, like uh, I, I've said this before, trying to give a definition for something that someone's not experienced is so hard. Like if I said, you know, have you ever gone fast? Fast is known because you've gone fast. You can't just know it by somebody reading you Webster's definition. You know fast when you get in a car and go or when you're on skis and you're hauling. When you can run fast, has to be experienced. This marriage, two becoming one, I can't give you a definition. You've got to experience it to know the goodness of it, to know the power of it. The reason this message is important is not often in Scripture do we find Jesus addressing directly a cultural issue. And here he's asked a direct question. He gives a direct answer. And if we're Christ followers, then what he said, we need to revere and we need to pay attention to. And I realize, God, I realize. Here's the three things. Why fight? Why stay? Why keep at it? Why not give up? Here's the first one. Because you want God's blessing in your life. Let's say it one more time. And I want, uh, <laughs> I want, your, I want you to jump in with me. How many of you want God's blessing in your life? Amen. If you don't raise your hand, you don't get it. Now come, come on. <laughs> <laughs> we all want God's blessing. My grandson said it this way, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. How true that is. Man, we want the blessing without having to do the things that bring the blessing. And life doesn't work that way. I, you've probably heard it said that the, um, <laughs> the, the height of insanity is to keep doing 
something that you've always done and expect to get a different result than you've ever gotten before. But sometimes in relationships, instead of doing them God's way, we do them our way. And then when it crumbles and it falls and it's so bad, we blame God. People are so quick to blame God. To call God unfaithful or to say God didn't do this or God didn't do that. God clearly sometimes just says, look, here's the way. Walk you in it because here's what will happen. Eventually, you'll be blessed by doing it. Now, by the way, this message is not if you do the right things and the right things will happen every time. That's not life, is it? But I do know this for sure. If you give up, you'll never get the thing that you want. Why fight? Why stay? Why go through it? Because you want God's blessing. There is a blessing in it to do it the right way. By the way, this message is not just stay married for the sake of staying married. It's stay married and be in love and passionate and do it God's way. That makes sense? We didn't initiate, invent, or come up with the idea of marriage. It's not a man-made institution. God gave it to us. Jesus just said, in the beginning, God did this. This is important, then, if you want God's blessing, you have to do it God's way. You can't think, if I do it this way, I'm still entitled to God's blessing. You do it God's way to get God's blessing. And in marriage, man, the only way to get the blessing that God has for you, the life and the joy and the fullness and all that marriage can be, you've got to do it God's way. So no wonder the devil fights so hard right on that issue. The enemy doesn't want you blessed, and he doesn't want you to experience what God has for you. And I won't belabor this, but I'll just state it to you clearly, man. God wants you to be blessed more than you want to be blessed. But some of us just think God's like a magic fairy with a big wand, and he just walks around boinking us on the head. And that's not how it works. God gives you an instruction. Listen to this. When you ask God to bless your life, here's how God works. He'll give you an instruction to see if you'll be obedient to it. And if you are not obedient, what we will continue to do is go, God, talk to me. God, speak to me. God doesn't go to plan B. He waits until you're obedient. I just said something really good, man. When you obey the instruction, then you get the next step. Here's what we're like. Okay, I want you to bless me, but I don't want to do it this way. So let's go to the next step. And I think God's kind of like, eh, we're not going to do that. You want God's blessing, you have to do it God's way. I'll give you the second thing. Why fight and why stay? Let me just talk real quickly about the difference between a covenant and a contract. We live in a day and an age where for so many people, marriage is more a civil issue than it is a spiritual issue. Therefore, it's all about the contract. Now, for those of you who are in business, you've ever bought a house, you've bought a car, um, you've done anything along those lines where it involves lawyers and, and the law and the particulars, there's a contract that you sign. And the contract just simply says, um, I'll do this and you do this. And by signing your name on it, the expectation is the party of the first part will fulfill their obligation and the party of the second part will fulfill their obligation. Just real quickly, how many of you know that marriage seldom works like that? So I, I heard somebody recently say marriage is 50-50. You give 50 and they'll give 50. my opinion, marriage is 100-100. When people come to me and say, hey, we want to get married. When I was a younger pastor, I was just thrilled that they would even ask me. Yay! But then as I did it for a long time and watched um, 
the devastation that can come from people not getting what marriage is supposed to be like and what happens in their life. The fallout spiritually. Hey, look at me. Here's why I know marriage is spiritual and not just physical, because it affects your spirit when it goes wrong. Yes or no? It doesn't just affect your bank account. Dude, the spiritual fallout is, it is, is humongous. All right, so as I got older and someone comes in, hey, will you do our wedding? Instead of now going, yay. Now I just ask a question. Why do you want to get married? Not like what's wrong with you, but why do you want to get married? What's, what are you thinking? What's going in your head right now? Most of the time, here's what people say based on a cultural issue. This person makes me happy. Yes or no? Usually what is in it for me, how it makes me feel, what I get out of the deal. Here's what I've learned. That person that can make you so happy a few years later can make you so miserable. And what I'm really looking for in a person, it's a teaching opportunity more than anything else, is when I ask them, why do you want to get married? And I'm listening to what they're saying. Here's what I try to guide them to. Marriage is not really about what you can just get out of it. It's what you can give to this person. Love is giving, not just getting. And you don't really love unless you're willing to serve someone and give to someone. What you really have is an emotion, a feeling going on. And the bad part about feelings is feelings go like this. I, not for you so much, but that Saturday night crew, dude, they are carnal, and they are like, they're sinners. I mean, they're bad. I know you guys, you're Sunday, and you're like, we're steady. But, you know, when you base life on emotions, that, that's the very problem with emotions. You can be up, and you can be down, and if that's how you love, think of the poor person you're loving that way. Let me ask you this. I bet you don't want to be loved that way. So a covenant or a contract, most people in our culture, and this is in the church, see marriage as a contract. Okay, you fulfill this, I'll fulfill this, and we'll try to make the things work. But if you don't do your part, man, I'm not going to do my part. And it's a reason to break the contract. But marriage is not a contract, it's a covenant. And a covenant is a promise, and there are two kinds in the Bible. Listen to this, this is really good. From the Old Testament, there's the... Abrahamic covenant, Abraham, the covenant that God made with Abraham. And then there's the Mosaic covenant, the covenant that God made with Moses. And here's the difference between the two. Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 15, God comes to Abraham. Abraham did come to God. Listen to this. God comes to Abraham, and this is what God says to Abraham. As for me, not for you, as for me, here's my promise. I will be your God. You will be my people. I will watch over you. I will care for you. Those who curse you, I will curse. Those who bless you, I will bless. And I will never forget the promise that I made to you. That is a covenant. But there is a second level covenant called the Mosaic Covenant. And Moses' covenant went this way. If you do this, then I'll do this. Let me just ask you real quickly. If you get married, which covenant do you want? You want the first covenant, man. Marriage has to be entered into not as a legal document of if you fulfill your part, I'll fulfill my part. I get it. It always takes two people. I get it. You both have to try. I get how marriage works. I've done it a long time. But what you want ultimately in marriage is a person who is committed because of a promise. And the goal again, hear me say it, the goal again is not to just be married for a long time. It's to be married and happy, to be in love, to be passionate for a long time. Do you agree with that statement? Yes. 
Some people will use that to say, nah, I'm not happy, so there's my out. I recognize it always takes two people. I recognize that at any given moment, one can say to the other, I'm done, and you're stuck. By the way, love me, hate me, disagree with me, email me. Let me say this to you. I grew up in a household with a stepfather who physically abused my mother. It is not to the glory of God to hang out in a marriage like that. Amen. Pack your bags and get out. If you don't understand that, you think your pastor's wrong about that, or you're, you're preaching the opposite of what you just said in the covenant. Look, someone told my mother that she was doing the right thing in front of God to stay in a marriage like that. And I don't care if you like, I was the kid who grew up in that. It is not honoring to God. I'll get off my soapbox and get back to my message. Covenant or a contract. It's the difference between a vow or words. It's the difference between what Abraham had and what Moses had. They're two different things. Uh, I'll give you the third one. Hey, I know I get intense. Are you okay? So I'm going to go home. Here's, here's what's going to I'm going to go home and relive every like, sentence. And I'm going to kick my own fanny. Nobody has to do it for me. Are you okay? I'm your, I love you. I, honest to God, I love you, and I'm, I mean no harm. I, in my mind, what I want is for you to experience the goodness and the blessing and the greatness that God has for you. That, that's what's behind this. So if it feels like, man, he's shoving a little bit, it, it, I'm trying to shove you into blessing. So that's the... <laughs> it's the third one. It's just simply, why fight? Why stay? Why go through it? The payoff. There is a good payoff. Believe me, uh, regardless of what the media says, regardless even of your experience, there is a good payoff. God is a good God. God is not a vengeful God. God is not out to get you. God is not trying to destroy you or control you or harm you. God wants to bless your life. And so he gives these instructions knowing that if you do it his way, there's a payoff that's incredible. It's worth it. The benefit of a long-term investment is the payoff. For those of you who are wise enough to invest, to think about the future, one of the greatest mistakes I made in investing, when Apple stock was hot about 10 years ago, I took the money that I could get my hands on. I didn't have a lot of it, but what I did have, I bought Apple stock. And man, it began to run up with the first iPhone. By the way, can you believe a new iPhone is $1,000? Never mind. All right. Uh, that bugs me, Don. That bugs me, man because now I'm in this battle of whether I need it or not, and I... <laughs> this from a guy with an iPhone 5. I've got a 5. All right, sorry. Bought this stock, and I watched it rise and rise, and then here's what I thought to myself. It's never going to get any better than this. Get out. So I sold my stock, paid the fees, and I made just a little bit of money. Within months of that, the stock split seven. And then it went up crazy since then. And I think I left on the table probably $15,000. That if I'd have just left it there, I would have got a payoff that would have been incredible. Just by sticking with it, just by staying there. So just look at me real quick. Sometimes in marriage, that's part of it. There's a payoff. The longer you go, there's a payoff if you do it the right way. 
Okay, so what's the payoff? How does it get better? All right, here's the better. Here's the better. And I'm just, look, don't be embarrassed. I'm the one that has to fillet myself. Sex is better long term. So everybody just thinks, man, when you're 21, woo! <laughs> How uncomfortable we were at 21. How unable to be really open with intimate, and I don't mean intimate, the ability to have sex, but the intimacy of two souls that could. Does anybody know what I'm talking about right now? Long term, when that's done right, it gets better. Uh, the fights are better. <laughs> Let me explain before you run out of here. We don't fight better in the sense of arguing better. We get over it much quicker. We've learned that much of life is very not fatal. And it's not that big of a deal. Just let it go, man. You want to know what uh, Ruth Graham, Billy Graham's wife, she said, you know what makes uh, a great marriage? Two people who can forgive each other really quickly. That's a good marriage. Two people who can overlook stuff. The Bible says love covers a multitude of sins. The relationship is better long-term if you do it right way. The friendship is deeper. She is my best friend. That is not just me up here talking. I'm not just preaching. I'm not just saying something. This is my best friend who knows me like nobody else knows me. And here's the great part. She doesn't reject me. Gosh, she knows my sins. She knows my flaws. She knows my weaknesses. And she loves me anyway. And the only way I ever can change is when a person doesn't force me to feel bad about myself, but loves me and lets the Holy Spirit work on me. I don't know if you heard what I just said. I, man, I know when I teach this message, some of you, it's gonna, please don't let condemnation come in. The closeness is better. The trust is better. Pastor DJ said this, and I thought this was pretty brilliant. Long-term living, long-term, gives God the opportunity to speak into your life and to change things. Short-term doesn't allow for the change. Long-term allows for the change. All right, I, I'm over my time. I'm sure some of you were like, thank God, so let's <laughs> let me just do this. Let me give you four tools that could help you long-term. Four, four tools that you could put in your toolbox. You could actually begin the process of these things today and get a payoff in a short time. Here, here's the first one. There are multiple things that you could read, but let me give you four things you could read. I've said this now for almost 20 years. If you haven't read this, if you have not looked at this, if you haven't considered this, buy the five love languages. Amen. The simple premise is everybody on the planet speaks one of five primary love languages. And you never marry somebody who speaks your love language. It just doesn't work that way. And here's the equivalent. It's like marrying a, a, a person from China that only speaks Chinese. You're American. You speak English. You can be telling them, I love you, but all they hear is, ah! It's all they hear. They cannot understand what you're saying because you're not speaking their language. And when you don't speak their language, frustration builds. And a person wants to be loved the way they need to be loved, not the way that you want to love them. So my wife, her love language is acts of service, and my love language is gift giving. And I've used this before. Let's go back to the dishwasher. Her thought is, you love me, do the dishes. My thought is, I love you, let me buy you a dishwasher. <laughs> do, do you see a clash at all? 
You see any, we giggle and we laugh about that, but I'm telling you the truth right now. You never marry somebody with the same language. This book would help you tremendously. Here's another one, The Four Seasons of Marriage. You never consider this. Marriage, like anything else in life, goes through seasons. There's a cyclical to life. There's winter, spring, summer, and fall. There's day and there's night. There's a sick, God designed it that way. Marriage goes through that. You can't always be in summer in marriage. But you don't want to live in winter. There's a good thought here. Both of those books are written by Gary Chapman. Uh, the book Cherish. C-H-E-R-I-S-H. The book Sacred Marriage. Both of those are by a man named Gary Thomas. Here's the second thing, tool that you could do. Seek a counselor. Ask for help. If you're in a position and you don't know what to do, you're stuck. You, you can't move on. You've been there for a long period of time. You're ready to give up because you're stuck. Find a counselor that can help you get unstuck. Here's what we have done for you here at Jubilee. I have three full-time counselors on our staff that you pay for through what you give so that when you go there, you don't have to pay for them by the hour. Does that make sense? They're available to you and would help you. Uh, I've got a pastor at the Castle Rock campus, um, uh, Rob Painter, who is, all of these people, by the way, man, are, are certified in what they do. They could help you. Seek counsel. Third thing that you could do, find a small group or a couple that have a good marriage. A small group that deals with good marriage or a couple that has a good marriage. Listen to this real quickly. Don't, don't get weary on me. Listen to this. We become like what we focus on. If you hang out with people in crappy marriages, don't be surprised if it leaks into yours. They will talk about their marriage in the most commonest of terms, talk about their spouse as though they're just average and ordinary and nothing special. That, what you focus on, is what you become like. Find people who cherish it, hold it in esteem, and have done it the right way, and watch yourself increase. Good morals can be corrupted by bad character. Find someone who's doing it right. If you want to get married, find someone who's doing it right. Here's the third thing that you can do. Fourth thing, excuse me. Pray. People, I will say that, people will overlook that and think that is so insignificant. I think the greatest thing I ever learned to do in my marriage was grab her hand and pray instead of fight. I don't leave my house without praying. I don't go to sleep at nighttime without praying. Instead of screaming and yelling and cursing and fussing and all the things that go with it. And again, I know it's not you. It's that Saturday night bunch. But <laughs> praying, man, is the answer. If you can humble yourself enough to grab your spouse's hand and pray, you'd be surprised what God can do in your life. It's not irreconcilable differences. It's irreconcilable people. And humility is a gift, not a curse. I'm done. Thank you for listening to me. I appreciate just the... I appreciate the respect that you always uh, show me. And I allow for people in this room to disagree. And I allow for those of you in here who think, Pastor, if you knew my situation, you, you couldn't be a strong... There's no condemnation coming from me. I love you. I'll be here next week. And I'm your pastor. And I want to help you. I want to help you. So Jesus, take these words and separate flesh from spirit, um, light from darkness, good from evil.
The Bible says, Jesus said in particular, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And if you're experiencing that or have experienced that in relationship, it's not the proof that God doesn't love you. It's the proof that you have an enemy who's targeted a relationship. And here's what I would pray for you right now, that the enemy would be bound. That the God who is God right now would set you free. What's impossible with man is possible with God. And if you find yourself in that place where you've just been like, God, give me a sign. I don't know if I should keep going. Maybe this is it. And if you've been at a place where you just feel condemned in the relationship, like I'm just a failure, that's not true. And if you came hoping to get some direction of how to go towards what God wants, may the Holy Spirit really protect the seed that was planted in your heart today so that it can produce the return that God wants for you. But all together, man, we just open our hearts and just tell the Lord, we need you. We need your grace and we need your mercy and we need your help. We need your blessing. We love you. Help us figure those things out, God. Sometimes that journey is just so long. Don't let us grow weary and give up in the journey because we'll reap if we don't faint. Help us, Father. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Thanks, guys.